Father, we come before you and we pray that you would guide and direct us as we continue to go through uh, the book of Exodus. We ask that you would enlighten us, help us to learn the lessons that they didn't and the ones that they did. Help us to be uh, men and women of faith as Moses and Aaron were. And we ask, Lord, that you would um, use this for your glory. Use this for the building up of the body. And we give you thanks also for the rain. Uh, May you deliver much in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Egyptians had been subdued and the Israelites rejoiced. And there was a short time of rejoicing. And then the Israelites, they will, as we will see in chapter 15, let themselves degrade into despair and complaining. But before we get into that, I would like to digress into chapter 14 for just a moment, just a little bit. Now, to place God in the lead of the Israelites, that happened, and he was guiding them. And they were at the end of the road, nowhere to turn. They couldn't hide. They couldn't run. The mountains were on either side of them. The ocean was in front of them, and Pharaoh's army was behind They were not even in a corner where they could defend themselves. They were simply out of options. They would have been killed, driven into the sea, taken back into slavery. It would have been even more harsh. Uh, They were looking at disaster as God had led them using Moses out into the wilderness. Remember, they didn't take the quick route up into the land of Canaan. They could have. But God said, no, we're not going to do that. And it appeared to the Egyptians that they were just wandering around because the Egyptians obviously sent spies to see where they were going. They reported back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, mount up, let's go get them, and we're going to bring them back, and we're going to pillage what they took from us. And it looked hopeless from their perspective. Now, take your own life. Has God ever led you to a particular place through mountains on either side, you think it's smooth sailing, and then you come to a dead end. You cannot turn to the right, you, to your right. You cannot turn to the left. There is an enemy behind you and only disaster in front of you if you proceed. That's exactly where God wants you to be. And you might say, why? Why doesn't he just fix it? Well, he can't if he wants you to be affected. This is how God operates. He brings us to our ends where we have nowhere to turn. There is nothing that you can do to change your circumstances. And you have to basically step back, drop your shoulders and your hands, and give up. And when you get to that point, when we get to that point, God goes, Good. Now I can work. But until then, how many, MP, how many people in here are fix-it people? You see a problem, and yeah, I am too. It's like, well, you know, people come in for counseling. I can fix that. You know, and you talk to them, and they're going, no, you don't understand. No, I understand. This is the fix. Just do this. Write a prescription, and you give it to them, and come on. Things are better now, right? No, they're not better. And emotionally on the inside, people, they get to the end of the rope, and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. And at that particular point, God encompasses us. And he says, I'm going to make this okay. You're going to watch me move. Now, some people will say, no, sometimes it ends in disaster. From our perspective, it does. From our perspective, somebody may die. 
somebody may get a terminal illness. Somebody may be infirmed for the rest of their life. And we think it didn't get better. You know, it's even worse for me. And God is working in the midst of that to change us. Not only to change us, but to change those who are around us. So if we fall into this point of despair, that's just where God wants us to be, where we give up and we allow him to work. And this is what God did with the Israelites. Brought them into the wilderness and circled them around, brought them to the beachhead, and then the enemy comes, and who do they blame? Moses. Moses is going, what did I do? God tells me to go. I go and I bring these people and I get here to the ocean, to the shore. And now, God, they hate me. What am I supposed to do here? And he knew enough about what God could do after those 10 plagues. He turned to the people and he said, don't worry. God's going to deliver you. Just watch. Just wait. And then there's the waiting, the patience, right? And for them, it was like a 24-hour period But for us, how long do we have to wait? Have you ever gotten to the point where you go, I want this to be over already. Have you ever been ill, physically ill, and you're going, when is this going to end? And it seems like an eternity. And, you know, you're taking things to help, but it's coming out everywhere, and you're just feeling sick, and there's fever, and nothing anybody can do around you helps. And you're just going, God, please give me some relief. And then eventually... Most of us, we all get better and we move on. And you look back and go, man, that was miserable. But we sometimes don't learn the lessons when God brings us to that point. And with these people, they really didn't learn the lessons. That's why they ended up not going into the promised land. So that's why God would lead them to this dead end. But in their evaluation, they blamed Moses who led them to this place. God wanted to sharpen the focus of these people who are suffering. And there's no greater way to do that is when God brings us to the end of our line, the end of the road, the end of our rope. He wants us to call out to him. Let me ask you, if things are good, your health is good, your children are doing well, everything's good in your household, everything's good at work, you're having a lot of enjoyment, you're enjoying the people, your friends who are around you, you're going on vacation, everything just seems to be going fine. Yeah, there's problems, but they're out there. But your life in this microcosm, it's just going well. Do you turn to God at that point and say, God, I need you? No, No, you don't. You just, thanks God, see ya, and you're out. It's like the teenager who says, Dad, can I have the keys? And Do you know how hard I worked for you to have this car and have these keys? No, Dad. Well, thanks, really. Can I have the keys? You know, and we just, we want to pursue our own way. And so in the midst of prosperity, it's like the psalmist who says, God, give me enough so I don't have to steal, but not so much that I forget you. That's why it's harder for a rich man to enter into heaven than it is for a camel to fit through the eye of the needle. The more wealth you have the more you trust in yourself. Are there presidential candidates that trust in themselves because of their riches? Is there anyone who has ever said, I've never needed to ask God for forgiveness of my sins? You can check that out, which one who says that. And if that's the case, you know, you're not in the right place. In order for somebody to turn to God more, more than often, it has to be some crisis. 
that comes up. And this is exactly what God did with the nation of Israel. In the midst of these plagues, trials, and suffering, God is whispering. Is he whispering or shouting? And I would say in the plagues and trials and the sufferings, God is shouting. But in times of prosperity and abundance, we don't perceive God to be shouting. He might be whispering and we might say, yeah, yeah, everything's going just fine. And to the Israelites, Moses was like God, but God was still saying, I am here. So he needed to refocus them. Now remember, they had been under several hundred years, some 400, some 430 years. It's just rounded off in scripture. They were under slavery for that long. They cried out to God. God delivered them. Let me just kind of review this here and summarize their journey. There is hardship for the people because they are enslaved. The people cry out to God. God sends a deliverer who is Moses. The people complain about the deliverer Moses. The people are delivered by God. The people face even tougher trials as threat of the army of Pharaoh. The people complain about their deliverer Moses. The people forget that God delivered them from the bondage, put them out in the desert. Moses says, trust God. God extends his hand to deliver once again the people of Israel and vanquishes the army. The people rejoice and then the people complain. Did you see a common thread? It's a complaint. It's like stringing pearls. Complain, complain, complain. Now I already covered this idea of complaining, but this comes up over and over and over for the Israelites when they were there witnessing what God was doing. And so the application that I gave you last time on that was don't complain. But there are several others. We want to learn to fear the Lord. We know that in Exodus, back in chapter 14, in verse 31, right at the end of the chapter there, it reads, And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. So their fear and their trust is predicated on God displaying his power. If God does not display his power, there's no reason to fear him. Therefore, there's no reason to trust him. When God saw, or when the people saw that God was judging the nation of Egypt, there was something wrong, and the, the Egyptians were a lesson for the Israelites. Do not do these things that they are doing. The, the bad things, the enslavement, the worshiping of false gods, that's why God brought these plagues, was to go against their gods. It was a lesson for them that they were supposed to learn. How quickly did they forget that they were not supposed to worship a false god? It was like within days, right? Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days. He gets the Ten Commandments. He comes down. What's going on? They're sacrificing to a golden calf. They had completely forgotten. All it took was 40 days. Now, how do you do this? How do you, you know, you, you go forward in a meeting. Maybe you go to one of the Harvest Crusades, or maybe you went to Billy Graham, or maybe you got saved in a church and you walked forward, or maybe you just raised your hand, or maybe you just agreed. They go, yeah, God, I want to follow you. I want to give my whole life to you for the next week. And, and then, or maybe for the next month. And then it's, well, go to church. Yeah, I'll try to make it at least three times a month, maybe two. Maybe when I'm serving. Well, maybe not even then. And there's this degrading. I can't tell you the number of people since I have been a Christian. I've been a Christian since age 19. Right now it would have been about 11 years. And so since I, I've been a Christian that long, I have seen a number of people come into the faith and exit the faith. 
But they just say, yeah, you know, that was for a time. That was something that worked for a little while. And I can name you their names, how they have turned away from God. How do you keep that fire going? You know, in the New Testament, I think it's uh, Romans chapter 12, I believe it's verse 11, that we're supposed to purposely fan our gift into flame, which means you've got to pick up the fan. You are the one that has to do this. And if you're waiting for God to do it, he's not going to do it. That's our responsibility. Whose responsibility is it to be a disciple? Is it God's to make us one or is it ours to become one? It's ours to become one. If you decide I'm not going to, you know, it's like the person who goes to school and they go through all the primary education. They get to sixth grade and seventh grade or whatever it is, fifth grade. I forget how middle school works now. I went to a thing called junior high. I didn't go to middle school. And so for me, I went to sixth grade. Then I went to seventh, eighth, and ninth. And high school was not uh, containing the ninth grade. And so there was that middle point. And if you did okay in the first six years with kindergarten in there, and you could read and write, and you could do basic math, then you took a step up, and you learned a little more. And then you got exposed to geometry, and that was in 10th grade, and then to trigonometry, and to pre-calculus, and chemistry, and biology, and all of those things. Before, in 6th grade and 5th grade, it was earth science, you know, things like that, reading, writing, and arithmetic. But if you didn't do good in those, you couldn't expect to do good when you got to the middle school or to the high school and then college or university is another step if at any time you pull back it truncates it cuts off your growth and so the israelites they kept on reverting back they kept on going back to what they knew they weren't going to change it they were just going to say you know we're only doing this because we have to because we fear god we don't want him to destroy us and god did several times remember the plague of the snakes going through the camp if you remember the stories from the book of exodus if you haven't come across it yet you will and how they put up the stake and there was a snake around it and the pole was there and that is a modern day symbol for the medical uh, field they only had one snake in the bible but they put two of them on there now for the medical field and and you know if you digress if if you fall into disobedience god can judge us he can discipline us he can do all of those things but we're not going forward we're digressing if we don't put effort into it we will not grow if you plant a seed outside and you never go out and water it do you think it's going to make it i once several years ago i planted this huge garden my daughter wanted to plant one i said we're going to do this right i brought in yards of soil mix and this humus stuff put it in there rototilled it made the rows and circles for the watermelons i was just it was grand it was like the taj mahal of the gardens you know and i put it out there and you know what grew the squash and the corn and the broccoli and the watermelon the lettuce was a miserable failure so were the radishes they i didn't get enough water on those and they just they never sprouted they never came up and it was a lesson for me you have to water the seed in the garden to cause it to grow you have to be faithful to keep the weeds away if you don't do that i feel like i'm going over the movie being there with peter sellers but it's this idea that you would take care of the garden if you don't take care of your walk with god you will not grow 
you will not produce fruit. It is the individual that does that that ends up producing 30, 60, and 100 times what has been sown in you. So God says, you do this. If you do this, I will bless your efforts and you will produce much fruit. If you do not, you will digress and never enter the promised land. That's what happened to the Israelites. Now, that's, I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about the idea that you will not receive the blessings of God if you don't put forth the effort. If you're never reading the word, if you're never praying, if you're never in fellowship, if you're never learning what the apostles' doctrine is, if you're never reaching out to other people that are there, if you seclude yourself, if you become a hermit and you go, yeah, God says don't forsake the gathering together as a brethren as is the habit of some and all the more as you see the day approaching. Fine, I'm going to church on Sunday. What more do you want? You want to make this your whole life or something? Oh, come on. Really? There's other things in life like work and play and You know, we can just do that. No, we're supposed to give our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength to God. The Israelites did not do this. Therefore, they fell by the wayside, and only two entered the land. So how do you fear the Lord? How do you trust the Lord? It's the only way God can perfect us. It's the only way God can mold us. We have to be willing to let God put us through anything. We have to get, and I've said this several times, we have to be able to turn to God and say, God, whatever you want, Whatever trial you want to put me through to perfect me, I'm willing. I'm to offer my body as a daily sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. I'm supposed to purify my life. I'm supposed to get rid of the, the slag that's in my life and make sure I chip it off and, and be acceptable to you in your eyes in the way that I live my life. Now, none of us are 100% successful, and that's where the grace of God comes in. But we have to recognize it. If we don't recognize it, the Jews did not recognize this. They just thought, okay, I just need to be obedient. I just need to bring the sacrifice and everything is fine. It's kind of like some in modern day Catholicism. Go to church, say the Hail Marys, our fathers, go to confession. It's good. Go out the rest of the week and just live like hell. You know, and then go back to confession and just, you know, you can receive communion. And that's not how it works. That's what the Jews thought. That was the very same thing. Not to say that there aren't Catholics who aren't saved. There are. But it's this idea of being slack, not really giving your whole heart to the Lord. So we know we're not supposed to complain. We know that we're supposed to learn to fear the Lord. And we know that we're supposed to learn to trust the Lord. And in most cases, with few exceptions, we must repeatedly return to the altar of suffering and experience the deliverance of the Lord. By doing it, or by doing so, it embeds into our minds that God can deliver us at any time. So we have to constantly present ourselves and say, again, whatever it is you want, whatever experience you want me to go through, I will do this. Then God uses this tempering process to strengthen us. Um, These bodybuilders that are out there, or, you know, if you look on the internet, if you look in any new site, sometimes there's advertisement for this latest pill, this wonder drug, this new diet, this new thing to build bulk. And I mean, it's, it's, it's almost to the point of being obsessive. It's on almost every website out there. But in order to get like that, you can't just do it by eating this or taking that. You have to put in sweat equity. 
You have to put in time. It eats up your time. And even God says physical exercise is good. But we know that spiritual exercise is better. But this idea of tempering the process in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That's why we suffer. That's why we go through these trials. And Peter knew of this well. He was writing at a time where the Christian church was suffering under Rome. And he goes, you know, this is going to be a light and momentary affliction compared to what is ahead of you. And so, again, we have, we have to say, okay, God, I will. Now, most of us, you know, I, I always look to God for counsel. What do you want me to do, God? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to uh, direct the church and love them and feed them and care for them? What is it you have in store? And I never get this, take them to Australia. Now, I never get anything like that. And we're not going to Australia. It just, God doesn't speak like that to me. I just start opening doors. I just, okay, well, well, maybe this one. And I open that door and well, maybe this one. But I'm moving forward and I'm not doing this because I'm great. I learned this from those who I consider great. They just keep walking forward. And when a door is shut, they push a little harder, and if it's shut, they don't go get a sledgehammer and try to knock it down. There, the past couple of weeks, there have been some things I've been trying to do. And I, I take every step, every avenue to try to do it, and God is saying, no, don't. And so I go, okay. And so I just back away. I go, I guess he doesn't want me to do that. And I don't want to take a sledgehammer and just barrel through and take care of the process. I wait for God. I listen to him. I say, okay, what do you want me to do? This is light and momentary. I, I can't figure out how this trial is going to end, but I'm, I'm just going to trust in you. So I've learned just to back away. Okay, God, you take care of this thing. And even though I may suffer or others may suffer, if you don't want me to solve it and you want to be the one, I'm agreeable. You go forward, you take care of it. Again, this is the rule or this is the lesson that the Israelites had not learned. Also, once we have suffered, we learn to trust God and receive comfort from him so we can offer that same comfort to others. The people who had gone through, the nation of Israel who had gone through wandering in the wilderness, did they teach their children? We know that they did what they had gone through because of Passover. God instituted that on a yearly basis so they would understand what's going on. And even to this day, thousands of years later, like three or 4,000 years later, they are recognizing that. They still follow that. They see how God delivers. This is repeated, a verse I've used often in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Pray, praise be to the God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Now, every generation must go through the same trials and tests in order to strengthen their faith. I find it enjoyable, not in a sick sense, but after being a Christian, you know, since 1979 and being married for over 30 years, I've experienced a few things after being in the church, I don't know, as a pastor for, I forget what it is now, 25 years doing that. I've seen a lot. And when I see somebody else going through a trial that I've already experienced, it's like your kid's growing up. They're struggling with this or that, and you just sit back. You go, uh-huh, yeah, because you've gone through it already, right? You've experienced these same things. It's like when they go through a period of falling in love, you go, oh, yeah, this is good. I can't wait for the first fight, you know? And when that fight comes, like my son, when he was um, dating, he was dating this one girl, and I... I knew that there would be an argument eventually come, and I hadn't seen it yet. And so we went as a family, uh, I think it was to Mammoth. We went to Mammoth, and I told him, you stick with your girlfriend, you make sure she learns how to ski, and everything will be fine. And then I walked away and go, <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of waited for it, and sure enough, by the end of the day, the lifts had closed down, and I have not seen them. They're supposed to come down by warming hut two, and I'm standing out there in the snow, and it's starting to get dark. And then I look up on the, the top of the uh, run there that I can see, and I see these two little figures, and they're walking They're walking down the mountain, and I see my son carrying the skis, and she she just walking down like this, you know, and I'm going, oh, you know, I'm just I'm just kind of snickering, and I'm going, you know, and and I'm trying not to smile too much because this has been the first encounter, the first fight, you know, so I not being sickly so but i'm getting a little bit of enjoyment out of this you know as they're coming down and so when you see things like that you know you're able to go up like i went up to my son and i just i put my hand on his shoulder and i just pulled him in there how's it going and he looks at me (laughs) you know he's kind of walking away and i looked at her and she's just you know she she just wanted to go the other way. She just was not going to talk very much. This is all done. You know, this day was not a good day. And so by experience, the things that you get to go through, the things that you see other go, go, people go through, you just kind of tuck that away and you learn from that experience. And I remember the comfort that I would receive if I went through something like that and how God led me through that. And I was watching my son go through some of these similar things, although his was much more. It was on a higher degree. And you sit back and you go, wow, everybody goes through this. And every generation has to go through the same thing. And with our walk with the Lord, the same thing applies. And you see somebody going through that like in uh, newlywed couples, the, the young bride learning to be submissive to her husband and love her. Why do you think God said, let the older women teach the younger women how to 
love their husbands because they don't naturally. The thing is, the young woman loves herself. She doesn't love her husband, and she has to be taught. Before that, it's the little princess, right? And then she becomes a queen, and it's not the same as a princess. And so the older women can come along, and they can bring comfort, and the older women say, honey, this is how it is. This is what you need to do. And, you know, when things like that happen, I just sit back and I go, (laughs) not in a bad way, you know, but in a good way, or the son who... He's got to provide for the family now. And he's got to work hard. I'm so tired. I go, really? (laughs) You're tired, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh, but I kind of do. But it's okay. You'll get through it. This is okay. And you're going to look back on this and it's going to be fine. The same thing happens with our walks. We go through these trials and it's tough. And the older people come along and they say, you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be good. God's going to work you through this and you're going to learn the lesson and it's going to work out for everybody's good if you're just submissive to God. If you're submissive to God, things will work out just fine. And so that's why God does this. Now, with that, if you are an older believer and you have not put everything into your walk with God, you will not be able to bring the maximum amount of comfort to those who are around you. You will become ineffective Even your own children will turn to you and they'll look for counsel and you may come up with something that you just pull out of your pocket and say, I I guess this will work. I don't know. I have no idea. Instead of something that's been tried and true. So the individual that has gone through the struggles, that sees someone else going through the struggles, and if they come out successfully, you're able to rejoice with them. And if you're able to mourn with somebody who is mourning because you have gone through it, you've seen the pain Like, for instance, if you've loved and you've lost, or you've loved your first and not married them, and then you see somebody else go through the same trial, and you remember the pain that you went through in that, you are able to come and comfort the individual. And you don't have to say Romans where all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's fine. I'm going to fix this for you. All you have to do is follow my counsel. God just says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The less you experience, the more you sequester yourself, the more ineffective you'll be. Do you want to be used by God? Sign up. The more you are involved, the more you minister, the more trials, the more chances to learn, the more tempering, the more rejoicing, the more sorrow. All of that, it's all in a package. It's all there. We like to take or we like to be healthy but we don't like to take the bad testing medicine in order to alleviate the symptoms to get better right we don't like to do that we don't, that medicine tastes terrible they've tried to make it more palatable in these days but it's not good to have to go through that we don't like to go through that but we want to get better god does the same thing are you getting the sense of what's going on here the israelites were not submissive to god therefore they had to keep learning the lessons but they would not learn the lessons and they kept on complaining about their circumstances instead of submitting to God and all they had to do was being submissive to God and if they would have they would have seen him move over and over and it would have been great but we are not like that 
We want to do our own thing. We get in our little box. We declare, this is right. This is the right thing to do. How do you know it's the right thing to do? You don't even know what the scripture has to say if you're falling behind in your discipleship. You see how it all works? This is what God wants to do with us. Move us along. Have us be willing to be involved in anything, whatever trial. He has designed it specifically for us. And when that happens, it's our little tempering. And as you sit there and get all heated up and flustered, have you guys seen, um, is it Inside Out? That little red guy? (laughs) He gets that glowing thing on the top of his head, and it just, it's fire that comes out of the top of his head. He's just screaming mad, get out of my way! And you go through this trial, and you get mad because you have to go through this trial. Just sit back. Just be like, joy. Okay, it's going to be fine. We're going to work this out. You have to be optimistic. And God will work it out. And it will be for our glory, even if it results in our death. Eventually, like in the Middle East, God's still going to work it out for his glory and for yours. So this idea that you would become an island unto yourself in Christianity, you would only be there because you feel obligated to, just like the Jews. They were only sacrificing because they feel obligated to. They weren't really into it with their whole heart. God says, and this is a wise king, the wisest king who ever lived, talked about there being this camaraderie. Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so if we are in this together... If we all say we're going to go forward, if we all contribute to the ministry, if we all contribute our funds, if we all contribute our time, if we all counsel, if we all know the word of God, we will be extremely healthy. But we're all going to suffer to one degree or another, and God has determined it to be so. My prayer for you is that you are willing to go forward, that you do not act like the Israelites. You do not turn around every chance you get and complain about what's taking place in your life. That the Lord would be able to use you and by the time he is just about finished with you, your wisdom will be at its peak. Your ability to counsel will be at its peak. Your ability to love will be at its peak. But do not withdraw from the fight. Just keep on moving forward. What we're going to do at this time is we're going to pass out communion. We're going to sing a song. And as we're singing the song, if there's anything you need to clear your heart out with, you just turn to God and you say, God, I I need to clear my heart out with all this rabble that's in there, all this slag that's in there, all these bad things. And God will renew us. God will purify us. And if you haven't really been committed to God, just turn to God and say, God, I'm going to be committed to you. So if the worship team will come up, and if you guys would like to come up and pass this out, we'll take communion together.